Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's message. Our hope with this content is that it would help you come to know Jesus, follow Jesus, and lead others to do the same. If you're grateful for this word, be sure to hit that like button, subscribe to our channel, and also you can partner with what Jesus is doing here at Elevate City through giving. There's a link below for that as well. Here's today's message. I can't wait for you to hear it. Well, welcome to church. I'm excited for today for us to jump into this new series, Living Free. And we wanted to do something different throughout this series, something to really elevate the word of God here in this space every single week. And so every week before we even hear a message, before the preacher preaches a word, we wanna hear directly straight from God's word. And so every week we're gonna be reading through every chapter of the book of Galatians or one chapter of the book of Galatians. And so today um, I wanna invite my wife, Leslie, up here to lead us in reading through Galatians chapter one. And remember, this is a declaration of freedom for the church of Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and pull out your Bible, Galatians chapter one. We'll have it on the screens as well. And Leslie's gonna lead us in reading through it. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, and what I am writing to you before God. I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. 
Can you thank Leslie for reading that scripture for us today and leading us in that? Well, if we haven't met, my name's Joe, and I'm one of the pastors here with Elevate City. And as we're diving into this new collection of messages called Living Free, I want to hear you say Living Free. Living free, and this is going, we're going through the book of Galatians, and Galatians is all about the grace of God and the freedom that we have in Jesus. And so today, we're going to be taking a dive into the foundation, the basis for our freedom that we have as followers of Jesus. And with this being week one of this new summer series, I want this week, I'm going to be providing a lot of just context, a lot of background for the book of Galatians as we dive into it today, because how many of you know that under Understanding the context of the Bible as you're reading it really, really matters. It's very important. Like if you understand the context of what you're reading when you open up God's word, it makes it come alive. It makes the story or the narrative of the story of God really leap off the pages and into your heart. And so when we're reading through the book of Galatians, we want to have this context, this background in mind as we're going through it. And so today's going to feel a lot like a deep dive Bible study. We are going to be diving in. So if you have your Bible, take your Bible out. If you've got a journal, get your journal out. We've got journals and some of the seats as well. Be taking some notes today. I'm going to ask you to write some things down, and we're going to have a lot of fun. And so the book of Galatians is written by a man named Paul. Let me hear you say Paul. Paul, and it was written by Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know much about Paul, I want to give you a little bit of background. After the resurrection of Jesus, after he died on the cross and then rose from the grave, Jesus, he gives his followers, his disciples, a commission. He says, go make disciples of all nations, as we talked about last week. And, and in Acts 1-8, right before he ascends back to be with the Father, Jesus gives his followers an, another charge. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what they do. They go and they start to preach the message of Jesus and people are getting saved, people are getting baptized, miracles are happening, but there's some opposition. There, there were some people, some religious leaders of the day that were standing in opposition trying to stop the spread of their message. And one of the religious leaders of the day that was doing everything he could to stop this movement from growing was a man named Saul of Tarsus. We hear about him in Acts chapter 8. It actually says that Saul was ravaging the church ravaging the church. As Stephen, the first Christian to be martyred, is murdered in Acts chapter 8, there's this picture of him being murdered and Saul is standing by holding the coats of the murderers, guarding their clothes. Well, Saul, he's doing everything he can to stop this spread. He's received orders and permission to arrest Christians, to throw them in jail, to murder them, to do everything that he can to keep this message from spreading. And so we see as this story and this narrative is taking place in the book of Acts, as Saul, as Saul is on his way to go and persecute more Christians, he's on this road of Damascus, and all of a sudden, he is blinded by Jesus, knocked off his horse, he falls onto the ground, sees Jesus, and Jesus gives him this charge and this challenge. He, ch he, he changes his life, and Saul makes a decision to follow Jesus and to make him known. And so the story continues through the book of Acts, and 
Saul is now this messenger for Jesus, and he's doing everything he can to make sure that this message of hope gets to as many people as possible. And you can read through the story in Acts, and it's wild. He becomes this juggernaut for the Christian faith. He's the greatest missionary to ever live. He writes 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, and we wouldn't be here today if it were not for the work of Paul. So Saul ends up changing his name to Paul and who we now know is the Apostle Paul today. And about 13 years after Paul's life is changed, he starts to go on the first ever missionary journey with his friend Barnabas to this area known as Antioch or the ancient capital of Syria and then also to Asia Minor or modern day Turkey to a place called Galatia, a Roman province called Galatia. And it was there in Acts 13 and 14, we see that, Saul, that Paul and Barnabas, they're going and they're spreading this message and, and they're sharing the gospel and people want to murder them. They are not liking them there. And then all of a the sudden they see a man who can't walk and they heal this man. And then everyone's like, oh my gosh, you guys are so great. Y'all are gods. And they call Barnabas Zeus, which is pretty crazy. And then they call Paul Thor because he looked like Chris Hemsworth. Like that's wild, right? No, I'm just kidding. They didn't call him Thor, but they called him Hermes because he was this messenger from God. And so they're just amazed. And they're like, well, tell us what to do. We want to worship you. And they're like, no, 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 don't worship us. We just know Jesus. We are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to know Jesus too? And so they go on and they start the churches of Galatia around um, AD 47. And as they plant these churches in Galatia, the church starts to grow, but then there's one problem. Another movement of religious leaders starts to rise up and they were known as the Judaizers. And what the Judaizers were preaching was that Paul and Barnabas were watering down the gospel. They were watering down the Bible. They started to preach a message that you had to become Jewish, that you had to follow the Mosaic law, the, the laws of the Old Testament, that you had to be circumcised, that you had to follow their um, restrictions on what you can eat and can't eat, and follow Jesus, and then you'll be saved. They preached a message of what's known as legalism. And throughout this message today, what I want to do is I want to define some terms for us. Because a lot of times we say words, and I don't want to make any assumptions in this place based on what people understand and know and don't know. Like some of y'all, y'all been in church since the womb, you know? Like you were coming here in your mama's belly before anything. And then some of y'all, like you just showed up and today's your first time ever in a church building. Like maybe you saw the flag outside, you heard the bass drop during worship, and you're like, I'm going in there for a good time. You want, you, it's your first time here today. And so I want to define some terms for us today. And the first term I want to define for us today is legalism. See, legalism isn't actually a word that you'll find in the Bible, but it's a doctrinal belief or a mindset that if we're all honest, we all fall captive to at some point and oftentimes without even realizing it. Legalism at its most simplest form is living by rules and regulations to try and earn God's favor. It's anytime we put a price on the grace of God and try to perform to earn his love. If you think about it, we've all done this, right? We think, okay, if I read my Bible today, then maybe God will love me just a little bit more. If I do this for God, then I might earn his favor. If, if I would just 
um, go to church at least twice a month, then, then God's going to look down on me and get it. That's a joke because, okay. And um, if I would just do these things to try and make God happy, then he will love me more. We try to perform for God. See, the Judaizers couldn't fathom believing that salvation could really be received freely. They couldn't fathom that. And so the problem with the mindset of legalism is that it stands in direct opposition to the biblical message of grace. And so what is grace? We talk a lot about grace here at Elevate City. Grace is God's free gift of undeserved favor. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, what you did not earn, what you cannot buy. It's the free gift of love from God poured out on his children through his son Jesus' work on the cross. See, God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance for him. God's pleasure in you is based on what he has done for you through Jesus' work on the cross. And so Paul, he hears word as he's back in Antioch about what's happening in the churches that he planted in Galatia, and he is not happy. He's pretty upset. And notice this, that he launched the churches in around in 47 AD, less than a year or so later, he's writing this letter back to them. So quickly, they deserted the truth. And in Galatians 1 verse 6, this is where we're going to launch out of today. He says, I am astonished, or that word means shocked, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. See, Galatians is almost like a tornado warning. The siren is blasting. Homes are being destroyed. Lives are being destroyed. And Paul is like, watch out. Watch out. If you're taking notes in your Bible or in your journal, I want you to write these words in big letters. Even if you've got a Bible in the pew, you can write it. Galatians chapter 1, write it right there, big at the top. Write all caps, all caps. Because as you read through this letter of Galatians, I want you to see it as if Paul is writing in all caps letters. He is that passionate about what's happening. Like, you know people that text in all caps? You ever texted with those people? Like it's hard to read sometimes. It's like, I feel like you're screaming at me right now. Like, um, like have you ever had those people that will write in all caps but use no punctuation either? It's like an out of control run on sentence and there's no stopping that train. It just keeps on going. All I see is loudness. When you are reading through the book of Galatians, I want you to see it as if Paul is so incredibly passionate. In fact, at the end of it, in chapter six, he says, hey, have you noticed have you noticed with what large letters I am writing to you in this letter with my own hand? He is writing in all caps for us today. He's so passionate. And why is he so passionate? Why is this such a big deal to Paul? Because the church had traded the truth about the grace of God for the lie of legalism. See, Galatians was written to remedy a desperate situations, to call the early Christians back from the Mosaic law to grace, back from legalism to faith. And it's so, it was so relevant for them back then, and it is so relevant for us today. 
It's been called the Christian Declaration of Independence by many people or the Magna Carta of Christian Liberty. The Protestant Reformation is inflamed with the book of Galatians and many people would say that the entire Christian faith rises or falls with the words spoken in the book of Galatians. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he actually referred to the book of Galatians as his wife. Like that's kind of weird, right? but also inspiring, like he loved this book so much. And so we're gonna be talking uh, throughout, over the weeks about the power of this book. And later on, we're gonna talk more about this, but many scholars believe that this letter is actually what sparked what's known as the Jerusalem Council, which is really the first church meeting that ever takes place in AD 50. And it was at this meeting that the entire course of the Christian faith is changed forever as they address the very issues that Paul is talking about right here. And so this letter is a very big deal, especially when it comes to the grace of God and the freedom we have in Jesus. And so if there was an all caps headline for, the, for chapter one of Galatians, I think it would say this, this is not a performance-based faith. This is not a performance-based faith. Have you ever noticed how almost everything in this world is based on performance? Like LeBron didn't just become the first billionaire athlete ever, active athlete ever based on just his name, based on his looks. No, he got there because of his performance on the court, slamming a ball through a hoop and his performance off the court, building businesses that produce revenue. We are judged and evaluated based on our performance all the time in your job, in your work. You have performance reviews that then lead to either raises or bonuses or being let go. When you were growing up in grade school, what you were evaluated based on your performance. You received letters that then dictated, um, evaluated you A, B, C, D, and F. They skipped E, I don't know why. And, and here's the reality though, is that everyone is trying to work to win, work to be the best, work to perform, work to be first, work to earn. And if you connect the dots, most of the stories we tell or hear about people striving to achieve behind that story, the motivation for that story is almost always a desire for approval. We're seeking someone's approval. We're seeking someone's attention, the attention of our father, the attention of our parents that we just want to be happy, the attention of that guy or that girl, the attention of those in-laws. You want your in-laws approval. And so you're working and you're trying to perform so that they'll love you as one of their own. Maybe at some point you were, you were trying to work and produce just so that you can make dad happy, just so that he would look down and, and see you and notice what you're doing. And we think that if I can perform, if I can produce, if I can deliver, then I'll get the acceptance or the approval of that person that I desperately want to love me. We do it all the time. And the problem is whenever we mix that idea with our faith, when we try to apply that to our faith, we struggle to believe in a God who loves us as he finds us. We struggle to believe in a God that would so freely offer grace to us. We struggle oftentimes even to believe in a God who would offer grace and love to people that don't deserve it. 
Maybe you've been there before where you're just trying to wrap your mind around like you feel like you've performed to earn God's love and how would he give his love to someone else who, who doesn't care about him at all and de definitely doesn't deserve it. And so you look down on someone else saying, well, I earned God's love, but they're not doing anything to earn God's love. So how, God, how can you love them? It's this legalism mindset, this performance-based mindset that if we're not careful can creep in to how we see God. See, the reality of grace is that it's so amazing. And if you've really truly tasted grace, then you can't fathom actually believing those lies. I love how the writer of Amazing Grace, the most popular hymn of all time says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It's amazing. Paul continues, or really at the beginning of this letter, Paul, back to verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. And when we're starting this letter, notice how he announces, okay, it's Paul, it's Paul, this is me who's writing this, and then he gives himself a title, an apostle or a messenger from God. And he starts this letter pretty direct and he goes straight at um, the, the root of one of these issues at the very beginning by reminding the church of his authority. You see, one of the things that the Judaizers wanted to do at the very beginning is they wanted the church to question or to doubt the authority or the legitimacy of Paul and of his words. Because the Judaizers knew if they could get the church to doubt the words of the man who preached truth to them at the beginning, if they could get him just to doubt that, just to, just to question whether or not he was really an apostle, then they could convince them of their lies. I need you to know, church, that the very same thing is happening to us today all the time. The world wants you to question or to doubt the authority of God's word, to question or to, to really just try to bend it or shift it just a little or really just try to give in here or there to the truth of the Bible because the world knows that if they can get us just to, to question the legitimacy of the Bible, question or doubt whether or not these words are actually true, then they can get us to believe whatever they want. The world wants us to know and to think that truth is found within ourselves, but the Bible speaks that truth is found at the end of ourselves. That truth and real truth is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And so anytime that we try to bend scripture to fit a certain cultural set of beliefs or agenda, we think that it's scripture that's gonna be hurt, when really it's us. We are the ones that are hurt. And so Paul starts off this letter by reminding the church of the legitimacy of his authority. He says, my authority came from Jesus Christ and him alone. No one casted lots for me. There wasn't a church vote. Jesus is the one that called me to be his messenger. And so if you've got a problem with that, you gotta take it up with him. You gotta call him, you gotta talk to him. And oh, by the way, if you still don't believe me, I got a bunch of brothers that got my back as well. They got me, they're here for me. And then he continues on in verse three. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. What Paul's doing right here at the very beginning of this letter is he is calling the church to remember the gospel. 
He speaks the gospel in these very few verses right here, speaks the gospel, presents it back to the church. And now that word gospel simply means good news. This is a word that would have been used in the day to really just communicate when there was something so massive, some news so great that it really could shift the entire culture of a nation if it was shared. It's, it's, it's news that would have been like, hey, the war is over. We're in peace times now. The king, he's had a son. Legacy is continuing on. This would have been, the word gospel would have been this massive news that needed to be shared with other people. And when we talk about the gospel here, we talk about the gospel in a way where we don't just say it's good news. We tell people what the good news is. We share the good news. And so here at Elevate City, you'll notice that we're very passionate about the gospel. And we want to teach the gospel to our church in a way that then we can share the gospel with every person that we come in contact with. We want to be able to learn the gospel and remind ourselves of the gospel and teach the gospel. And so if you've been through Equip with us, it's our discipleship training. We've taught you four points that outline the message of the gospel. And I want to bring those to us today, these four points that Paul actually mentions right here in these verses that can give us some clarity about the gospel, what the gospel is, the true message of the gospel. And the first point is this, there is a God and he is good. There's a God and he is good. Notice how Paul uses God right there in verse three. See, we start with God when we talk about the gospel. Many people like to start with sin when they share the gospel, but we believe the gospel starts with God. The gospel starts with a good God that created everything that we see and everything that we don't see. And he created man and woman in his image to reflect his glory, to have a perfect relationship with God. We were created for relationship with the God of the universe. You weren't created on an accident. You were created to have relationship with God, the perfect God who created all things. But there's a problem. We chose to disobey God. We chose to break God's commands. We chose to break God's heart. And in that, that perfect relationship that we had with God was broken, was marred. And that leads us to point number two, the, there's a problem. We have sinned. See, sin is anything that we think, say, or do that breaks God's commands and breaks his heart. And the biggest problem with sin that we need to understand is that sin separates us from God. It separates us from the God who created us and loves us and wants relationship with us. There's this great chasm now between humankind and the God of the universe. That's what sin does. It doesn't make us bad people. The world wants you just to see that we preach a message, oh, it just makes you bad. No, no, no. The problem of sin is it makes you a spiritually dead person. And spiritually dead people can't do anything to save themselves. No hope. But enter in the message of Jesus. God made a way. Point number three, there is hope and his name is Jesus. Jesus, the author of life, came as the image of the invisible God and lived a perfect life, came preaching about his kingdom and that he was establishing. He came healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, loving people, giving a home to the hurting. But Jesus's mission was far greater than just temporary time. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came on a mission to die. He came on a mission to be an eternal solution to the problem of sin. Jesus stood in my place. He stood in your place on the cross on a hill called Golgotha 2,000 years ago. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was stripped of his clothes. He was cursed at. 
And he was, had nails driven through his hands and through his feet and hung on a cross and literally and physically died. The God of the universe, the author of life himself, died for you and for me. See, because the wages of sin is death. There had to be a payment for sin. We could do nothing on our own to make ourselves right with God. And so God had to send his one and only son for us. But Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus was buried in a tomb but on, the, on Friday, but on the third day, that stone was rolled. The tomb was empty, and there was a message of hope for all creation, that Jesus had defeated death, he had defeated sin, and that he rose from the grave. See, he appeared to his disciples, and then he appeared to over 500 people who saw Jesus dead on Friday, but then alive on Sunday. The resurrected Jesus, the king of the universe, rose for you and for me. And if Jesus can beat death and Jesus can beat sin, then Jesus can offer life to anyone that would choose to believe in him, to anyone that chooses to trust in him as Lord. And that leads us to point number four is that there is a response, the surrender of my life. See, we believe that the message of the gospel demands a response. You can either choose to reject Jesus' message of life in him or you can choose to receive Jesus's message and trust in him as Lord and walk in his ways, in his teaching, in his grace for his glory alone. That's some good news. I love how Paul, amen. Yeah, we can clap for the message of the gospel. I love how Paul shares the gospel in Romans this way. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, we'll talk about that word in a second, by his grace, remember, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That word propitiation means to turn away or appease the wrath of God. That's what Jesus does for us. He turns away the wrath of God from us and puts it on him by his blood to be received by faith. See, throughout the entire Old Testament, mankind is trying to work their way back to God by obeying the Mosaic laws, the Ten Commandments, and then an additional 600 plus commandments that were added to that. And every time the law was broken, there was this requirement of a payment for sin, that sin had to be atoned for. And then a sacrifice was made to atone for that sin so that people could be made right. Because the wages of sin is death and a sacrifice must be made. And the reason why Paul is so astonished that the Galatian church would choose to revert back to the Mosaic law, revert back to their former life in Judaism, is he's astonished because the grace of God was free. Free. It it cost Jesus his son, but it's received freely for you and for me through him. And that's why he's astonished. He's like, hello, like I've introduced you to grace. Why are you turning back? It would be like me introducing you to Chick-fil-A, but then tomorrow you go into lunch to KFC. Like, that's pretty weird, yo. It would be like you driving around on a horse and buggy today, even though we're sending SpaceX people up to the moon. It would be like you choosing to have AOL dial up when there's fiber internet ran to your house. Like, that's just weird. That's just crazy. Like, who could fathom that. He's like, I introduced you to a better way to live. Why are you returning back? You are free. See, because of Jesus' work on the cross, we're made right or justified 
by Jesus. Justification, I want to give us a definition for this word. Justification, I love this definition. It says that guilty sinners can be declared righteous before God by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. Justification, you need to hear this, is not a process. It is a one-time act. It is not something we do. It is something that God did for us. Anyone that trusts in Jesus, it's a once and for all event. It never changes. Justification is the gift of the grace of God, unearned, undeserved, and freely received by faith in Jesus. See, what we have to understand about justification is that Jesus worked for us. You did nothing to earn it. You did nothing to to pay for it, it was given by the grace of God. God is pleased with you, not based on your performance for him, but based on Jesus's work for you. But we have to remember though that grace, however, does not give us a license to do whatever we please. You may be asking that question today, like, well, if we aren't trying to like please God, then why don't we just do whatever to please ourselves? Like, why don't we just live our lives to make ourselves happy, to do whatever we want, just to find happiness and pleasure for ourselves then? If we're not pleasing God, just live life for ourselves. That's called hedonism. Hedonism is this pursuit of devotion to our own pleasure. It's doing whatever we want to do to please ourselves or to make ourselves happy. And you know what that is? That's sin. That's selfishness. See, Paul, he writes to the Romans and he says, what then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He's like, well, okay, they were asking this question. Well, why don't we just like sin all the time because there's plenty of grace for it. And he says, no, by no means, exclamation point. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We have to understand grace is not cheap. The cost of grace is the cross. And when God gave his only son for you and for me, and so how can we just trample on the work of the cross? How can we just continue to sin as if God never sent his son for us? See, followers of Jesus, we don't live to make ourselves happy. We live to find our happiness in Jesus and in Jesus alone, in him. Paul says, I am astonished, back to verse six. He says, I'm astonished so quickly. You are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Notice he says, not that there is another one. There is no other gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This is how the enemy works. If you've got your Bible out, underline so quickly. It can happen so quickly. One day you're just scrolling through Instagram and you discover this thought or this idea or this ideology or this movement or this message on TikTok and and it seems to have smart people who teach it, seems put together, seems to have all of the answers. One day you'll find that new friend that has that compelling argument that goes against everything that that you've been taught to believe about God and his word. One day there'll be that new group. And it's going to try to seduce you with a sexy ideas and a new way of life to live. And, and it's going to have the support of culture. And it's going to be featured on the news. And it's going to be trending on Twitter. And it's going to have the approval stamp from all the celebrities. And before you even realize it, you're starting to believe and practice a false gospel. Ever so quickly can happen so quick and so church, we have to be a people that have guardrails and boundaries in our lives for who and what we will allow to speak into our minds and shape our thoughts. It's so important, it can happen just like that. It says so quickly, 
They came after you so quickly, you started to follow a false gospel. That's why it's so important that the people that we allow to speak into our marriage or our dating lives or speak into our careers or our purpose or give us advice on parenting, it's so important that they have a biblical worldview, that there are people that are rooted in the Bible and in the gospel of Jesus. It says they turned to a different gospel. Means that they transferred one's allegiance. There was that word was used to speak of a soldier that left to fight for the other side. It would be like you show up at the pool this summer and you got all your Georgia Bulldogs fans there, but they're all rocking Alabama jerseys. Like that's crazy, right? You'd be like, what is happening? See, the Galatians, they received these robes of righteousness, but now they're in the dumpster and they're searching for rags of religion just to cover themselves up. They're just trying to just give me some more religion. And Paul's like, what? Why did you turn? How did it happen? It happened because there were these Judaizers that troubled them. And I need you to know that they troubled them in seemingly small ways. Like we can read through Galatians and really think like, how could they have done that? Like that's such a different message than what they were taught. And it is, but in seemingly small ways, it was very similar to them. See, the Judaizers were actually preaching a pretty legit like biblical teaching. Like they acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. They acknowledged his death on the cross. They claimed to believe all the other truths that the Christians believed. And they certainly weren't telling people they were preaching another gospel, but they were adding to the message of Jesus and adding to the message of grace, which was a very big deal. They were adding these requirements. They were adding these standards in seemingly small ways so that, okay, yeah, sure, okay, that, if that's what the Bible says, sure, I'll believe that. And they had no idea that they're subscribing back to the Mosaic Clause, back to circumcision, back to the restrictions of what they could eat. And they're mixing the old covenant with the new covenant, and they didn't even realize it. Seemingly small ways we can start to believe a distorted message of the gospel. Like it's been happening for thousands of years. That's how we ended up with the Protestant Reformation because the Catholic Church started to add to the gospel, preaching that we need intermediaries like saints or Mary or priests to allow us to approach God, preaching that, that salvation is a process that we receive by faith but then maintain it through our works. And then Martin Luther and the Reformation takes place and we see this separation, this pull away from that belief because it was adding to the grace of God. There's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or many of you know of them as Mormon, Mormonism. Seems very similar to what we believe. If you were to talk to someone of that church, they'd say, yeah, I'm a Christian too. I believe the same messages you believe. And they would start to say things and talk to you and be like, okay, wow, like we're, we're the same but it's not the same message. They added to the message of the grace of God. Notice what Paul says in Galatians 1. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. He goes on to repeat himself. Let him be accursed. Paul's like, if even an angel were to show up preaching something different, Big old angel, do not believe them. 
And that's what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is built on. That's what the Book of Mormon is built on, this story of Joseph Smith in the early 1800s and this angel Moroni appearing to him, revealing to him another testimony of Jesus Christ, preaching another gospel, adding to the words of the Bible, adding to the message of the gospel, an angel preaching a different gospel. It sounds great, but it is adding to, drifting away from the true message of the gospel. Loving people. You may have them over in your house and you may be like, oh my gosh, they are so great and so loving and so kind, but they have drifted away from the message of the true gospel. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus is not God, but that Jesus is just the son of God. You may have the missionaries knock on your door, start talking to you about, we're Christians too. And they'll say things like, well, well, we believe that Jesus is the son of God. And you'd be like, okay, cool. Yeah, he is the son of God. But Colossians 1 tells us that in Jesus, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the fullness of God, lives in him. This is a false gospel. And so we have to have a different mindset. When we have people come knock on our doors, our mindset isn't that we are being preached to. Our mindset is that we are the missionaries in that moment. And we are the ones called to love and to preach truth and to welcome them into our home, knowing that there is a difference there, but having a heart that is broken and burdened to say, this is a person God has brought to me to love and to preach the true message of the Bible to to preach the truth of grace. The distinctiveness about the gospel we preach is that the gospel we preach is all about what God has done for us, not about what we can do for God. And we wanna reject anything and everything else. There's another message of another false gospel out there today that, that preaches a version of, of what they call truth that says that sin is okay that everyone's going to heaven in the end, that you just need to be you, you just need to try and live a good life, that God just wants you to be happy. We need to reject that gospel too. I love, there's this one post going around this week by this Christian leader named Shane Pruitt. He says this, the goal of the gospel is not to affirm you, celebrate you, and accept you. The goal of the gospel is to rescue you, transform you, and redirect you. Our response isn't to Bible shame people. Our response is to lead with love and directing people to the truth that's found in Jesus alone. And so we wanna be a church that's equipped to do that. And since we don't have like 12 hours to go through a lesson on apologetics and, and all of that, I wanna give us a very simple formula that'll help us to distinguish, okay? And start to put some pieces together about, is this true, is this not? And here's the simple formula, Jesus plus anything, equals a false gospel. Jesus plus anything equals a false gospel. If anyone preaches to you that you need Jesus and you gotta do this, and you gotta add this in. If anyone preaches to you anything adding to the message of Jesus that we find in the Bible, it's a false gospel. It's adding to the message of grace. It'd be like me offering you a refreshing ice cold cup of water. And before you drink it, me just putting in a little bit of poison in there, a little bit of mercury. And you say, and you still want this? No, a little bit of poison is still poison. 
just adding a little bit to the grace of God, that's still false. That's still a different gospel. Adding anything is not okay. Jesus plus nothing is what we preach. Jesus plus nothing equals everything that you need. Because Jesus is enough. We don't add anything to him because he's all we need. He's the message of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end. It always was about Jesus and it always will be about Jesus. The Old Testament was screaming the whole time, Jesus is coming. The New Testament is screaming, Jesus has come and he's coming back again. And are you ready? Are you ready? Some people would ask, well then, does what we do here on earth matter? Like what we do here, like does it really matter then? Grace just, just, what does it all matter for? The answer is it absolutely does matter. In Ephesians 2, we'll close with this. Paul, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Again, a reminder over and over again. He echoes this truth. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you're ever looking for a scripture to bring to someone that thinks they got to work for their salvation, Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we have been created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There is this tension that exists here. Last summer, we went through the book of James and James is preaching this message and I preached the message all about how faith without works is dead. That's what James says. And so how can this exist with the message of Galatians? It's written right here. We are created for good works. We're not saved by works, but for works, which means if our faith is not carried out by works, it's not working. The life of a follower of Jesus is meant to be this beautiful response to the radical grace of God, that we don't deserve his love, we can't earn his love, but our lives are lived to echo his love. That's what it looks like. It's this beautiful just response. God's grace, I receive it. Now I respond by loving him back. I receive it, I respond by telling him about how great he is. I receive it and I respond. The Bible is very clear that in the end, there's treasure to be found in heaven. There are crowns to be given and received. There will be a judgment. We're gonna be judged by the things we do and the things that we don't do. That is truth. There's this great tension that exists right there that we are called to live lives of obedience. We aren't loved because of our obedience. We live lives of obedience based on what God has already done for us. It doesn't earn us the grace of God. It's a response to grace of God. See, from the very beginning of this letter, Paul is teaching that God's favor is free. His salvation is free. His love is free. His mercy is free. His provision is free. And it's not based on your performance. It's based on his grace. We must not swerve, church. We must not swerve. And so two things to do today at the end. If you, you're here and you've heard this message before and you've responded to the message of Jesus before, the, the the action step for you today is to remind yourself. Paul, in his other writings, he's like, remind yourselves of the gospel I preached to you. Remember the gospel I preached to you. Remember that God sent his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life in Jesus. Remember, remind yourself of the gospel. Preach it to yourself every day. 
And the second action step, if you're here today and you've maybe never received that message of Jesus, you've maybe never responded to the message of Jesus, you've maybe, you're hearing this for the first time, you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know this. My eyes are open for the first time. Today, your response is to receive the message of grace, the message of Jesus. So let's pray. God, we're so blown away that you would choose to love us. God, that you would choose to give your one and only son, Jesus, to stand in our place on the cross, that you would make him to no sin who knew no sin so that in him we would be called the righteousness of God. God, we're just blown away by that truth. God, may we never forget the work that you've done for us. May we never lose sight. May we never swerve. May we never be troubled or turned away from the true message of the gospel, of the grace of God. May we never live our lives trying to perform for to earn your love, to earn your favor. But may we live lives that echo your love in everything we do. Saying, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, I know there's people here in this room that have maybe, or maybe hearing this message for the first time. And so we wanna give them an opportunity to respond to you, God. And so if you're here in this room and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we wanna give you an opportunity to do that. And everyone's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, but I wanna just lead you in a prayer. And you can pray this. Say, Jesus, I receive you now. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose for me and I wanna receive the life that you have to offer me. God, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God and I'm trusting in you as the Lord of my life. Make me new. God's word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I wanna give a moment right now for anyone in this room that just received Jesus for the first time to respond, to mark this moment. We believe that there is power in marking moments. And so on the count of three, I'm gonna just ask you to raise your hand if you prayed that prayer and everyone's eyes are closed, but I wanna see And I wanna see your hand in the air so that I can celebrate and praise God with all of the angels that are in heaven celebrating that you have come home to God today. And so if that's you on the count of three, would you raise your hand if you received Jesus for the first time? One, two, three. If you prayed that prayer, raise your hand. Amen, amen. God, we're so grateful for you. God, we're believing God, that as we remember the gospel, God, that it changes the way that we live and it changes the way that we see the world and it changes the way that we respond to who you are. And so God, I pray that we would live lives that are marked by the gospel and we would live lives that are able to spot out false gospels and able to lead people in truth and in love to point them to you, to how good you are. And so Jesus, may we leave here today reminded and stirred in our hearts for the good news that you sent your son Jesus for us. God, we love you and we worship you and you alone. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.